Hi, everybody, and welcome to the European VC Podcast. I am David, also known as the LP Syndicate Lead, and I am joined, as usual, by my dear co-founder, Andreas, the LP Hype Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, all. And me being the hype man of the two of us, I think I should do the honors of hyping up this episode because it's a special one as we're here today with another set of David and Andreas's. But these guys are from First Momentum and two of the three-person GP team that we have the great honor of backing ourselves. Yeah, so full disclosure there, everyone. We obviously love the mission these guys are on and we believe they're building something that's actually really, really cool and amazing. Yes, and as always, we have a bunch of great angels joining us in the deal, and it looks like it's going to be an amazing syndicate. But enough about us. I'll let you take it away, David. And that's David from UVC. This is going to be a tough one to keep track of today. As you already know, we have David and Andreas with us. David and Andreas are GPs at First Momentum Ventures, a 35 million euro pre-seed venture fund in Germany to back deeply technical companies at the earliest stage in the Dach area and across Europe. First Momentum is investing out of Fund 2 with a total of 40 million euros AUM. So for the attentive listener, that's 5 million euro first fund and now 35 second fund. And an established portfolio of 35 companies and notable investments including Daedalus, Pliant, software-defined automation. At First Momentum, David Andreas focus on the future of computing and industrial tech respectively. Attention folks, on December the 11th, we're hosting our virtual roundtable, mastering non-dilutive funding in Europe on LinkedIn. Sign up to eu.vc. Discover cutting edge approaches and best practices in leveraging non-dilutive funding, a crucial tool for both your startup portfolio and if you have the flexibility, even your own investment strategy. Gain invaluable insights from Gilles de Malbosque from Harmony, a seasoned family office investor on optimizing these fund avenues for maximum returns. Hear from Bailey Morrow at HSBC Innovation Banking about the evolving role of banks in non-dilutive financing and how this impacts your investment decisions. Venture capitalist Hamal Fraser-Rawal shares a unique perspective on balancing equity and debt for optimal growth in the European startup ecosystem. Learn from Benjamin Ryder from Levenue, a successful entrepreneur on how his platform aids businesses in securing non-dilutive funds effectively. This roundtable would deepen your understanding of non-dilutive funding options, strategic implementation, and how they complement traditional investment methods. This is an essential event for VCs, angel investors, family offices, and financial leaders seeking to refine their investment strategies. Secure your spot now. Transform your investment portfolio with non-dilutive funding knowledge. Visit eu.vc. Head on over to the event section and sign up to join us for an in-depth look at how to win with non-dilutive funding instruments in Europe. Finally, and before we start, if you're listening in and love our show, drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at eu.vc. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values. values. United and determined. We can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new new beginnings. Let's start acting, 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 acting. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. So, guys. Let's kick this thing off by asking you to tell us the founding story of First Momentum Ventures. 
Sure. Let's let's take you back to 2015, uh, I guess, because we were all kind of aggregating in the same uh, student entrepreneurship club uh, in, in Karlsruhe at KIT, one of the best engineering schools in uh, in Germany and probably also across Europe. And we basically in this entrepreneurship club uh, where we also took chair positions was basically a mission to get engineers away from just uh, mindlessly trotting into the doors of the auto OEMs and the typical German industrial companies, but actually using their their minds and imagination to, to actually build something. And to achieve that, we set up a, an incubator um, a program. Uh, and actually, at a time where a lot of really interesting people and, and uh, were active in that in that ecosystem and, and forming companies, because looking back, there's uh, at those companies, there's several that have have raised uh, really large amounts of money um, around kind of probably hundreds of millions and, and also exits in the in the nine figure uh, range and kind of being in that ecosystem and also taking trips abroad to, to China, to the US, to Israel, to basically do startup tools there and see the ecosystems there. We always came back a little bit on the one hand, exci excited about those ecosystems. And on the other hand, a little bit frustrated because we, we, we kept seeing that the whole process of, of actually spinning out those companies or getting companies out of universities was working so differently there. Then you came back to Germany and you realized, okay, most of the VC industry here is still really focused on B2C and maybe enterprise SaaS, basically looking for the next Zalando and, and Delivery or the, the big names at, at that time. And in 2017, one of us came across a, a Medium article that's, that was basically saying, okay, hey, actually in Germany, it's pretty easy to set up a fund and you can do it if, if you're quick in, in, in a little bit over a month. And kind of being, being naive, we believe that. Turns out it takes a little bit longer than a month to, <laughs> to actually set up a fund, uh, but we we managed to to uh, set up our first fund in uh, in 2018 with with five million euros, and basically grown that uh, into our second fund and really kind of becoming a household name and and basically the fund to call up if you're working on a on a really deeply technical or complex topic. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> I think I think that uh, the um... The medium article was probably written by uh, by Vauban, Vauban or Odin <laughs> or, or Angelist or something like that. Um, no, so enough fun about that. Guys, we should touch on something right off the bat. And that's, of course, the fact that you are young. And some would even say that that disqualifies you from being good VCs. I think uh, many in our audience have recently heard the guys at All In giving a good bashing to anyone thinking like they can be VCs if they haven't built a startup of their own and really almost taken that to an IPO. So I want to ask you, because I'm sure you've had this question or stupid remark thrown in your face a million times. Tell us, how do you counter that? The first lawyer that uh, that we started talking with, he was looking very funny uh, at a bunch of 21, 22 year olds uh, that wanted to start a VC fund. So. This was for sure a topic that that we had to deal with. But I think if you if you also look at the at the side of startup founders, you have a ton of successful founders that start their companies really young. For sure, they're not uh, maybe that young anymore once they get to an exit. But I think in the end, age is really more so an arbitrary metric, um, and it really depends on kind of the the context that you are moving in and the learning curve that that you are showing. And for for us, the model was basically okay. If someone is is not 
believing our story from the get-go or thinks that that uh, we might be too young, then at the end of the day, our portfolio and, and our work has to has to speak for ourselves and, and for our abilities. Being young also gives you the advantage of just being super hungry and, and wanting to leave a mark in in that industry that 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 you're working in and also kind of working towards that goal of, of being being kind of a cornerstone in that uh, European deep tech ecosystem. And for us, this was really kind of showing showing milestones and evidence towards those those people that that might be critical on that level. So getting an institutional LP into into our first fund to show that we can deal with the quality requirements that that they have to have founders speak up, speak up for us uh, and kind of give very positive uh, testimonials, have other GPs that have a high opinion of us, get great follow-on rounds into our portfolio, um, have deal allocations in competitive rounds. And I think in the end, founders also appreciate this, this kind of underdog existence uh, because they're in that position as well. And they, they have that feeling of, okay, we're, we're building something together. And for us, it's also by starting First Momentum so young, we really have a long arc of being able to build First Momentum up. And it's not we're two funds away from retirement and we now have to maximize getting our carry. So we are able to to kind of take a lot of strategic decisions because we want to build this cornerstone and, and kind of taking the long view on this. Before passing the mic to David, I would just say that for anyone questioning your ability, I think that what you just said there in terms of uh, of Getting good follow-on rounds, which I think to any fund that's early in their development is, is one of the, the strongest metrics that, that you can have. And I think that the fact that you guys have Kosla, Insight, Cherry, Early Bird, Cavalry, Tiny, Speed Invest, Pale Blue Dot, Buy Founders, Y Combinator, Project Day, and all the likes of those investing with you in the companies that you have backed, I think should make many, and are, I think especially there's many other VCs that are older <laughs> and maybe not as much part of the same ecosystem as, as, as we might typically uh, walk around in, who would have the view that you can't be young because you need to be 95 and, and, and super, <laughs> super, <laughs> super accomplished. I think that, that that should shut up anyone, but I'll, I'll pass the mic to, to David now, but I just had to take my role as hype man here and say that I don't think that you can really argue with that roster. Even though we are biased, because we're not that much older than you guys. So obviously, you know, we, we love what you guys are doing. I love the hustle above all. I love the story. I love like how you started super small, where you started from. I remember, Andreas, when we first met, I think Fund 2 wasn't being prepped yet to my recollection, at least. And I, it's been just cool kind of see you guys, guys de develop and also kind of hear what the, the ecosystem is saying about you guys. I think that that's also a great testament. And I've... You know, whenever I've I've asked around about you guys, something that has come over and over kind of back at me as feedback is, well, they're seeing really interesting, interesting deal flow and really enjoying kind of getting getting to see some of the deals they're doing. Right. And and, and this from names like the ones mentioned by by Andreas, but also others. And so I think that is also a good testament for anyone kind of asking around and trying to get a feel for what 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 is first momentum about and 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 you know what are they doing what are they seeing let let me ask you one question on that front before kind of going on with the with the script as we had planned which is just about positioning right andreas you you shared a bit of the story and what you were seeing and where kind of the drive to start this as well came from but i think it's fair to say that today in 2023 the landscape is very different and there have been some really cool deep tech uh deep tech funds popping up so first time funds 
much more institutional than yourselves, uh, even in, in, in the same country as you, but also um, more established funds kind of increasing their focus and allocations into deep tech uh, and so on and so forth. So I'd love to ask you both, like, just give me, give me a quick rundown of how you see your position in the market, not in the sense of why you're better, why you're worse. Like, what are you different than others that now exist also doing deep tech early stage in Europe? It's a combination of multiple factors. So I think on more like the, the hard fact side, it's certainly coming in at pre-seed extremely early with past processes and, and high conviction bets, even if there is not a lot of like technical milestones or even commercial milestones in a deep tech environment that some other funds would look uh, uh, would love to see at, at a certain point. Uh, I think we can really see companies quite early and, and get in very early. And I think that is kind of like a competitive advantage uh, on, on this side. Also, looking at our team, we are all engineers and scientists. We have uh, just recently hired a bunch of uh, like physics PhDs with practical experience from science teams, from deep tech companies. Also us in, on, on the partner level being all engineers, we really see founders lighting up when we call, have a call with them because they finally have the feeling that they are talking to somebody who speaks the same language. And I think most of the competitiveness in, in, in venture capital is actually finding like a personal level with some of the founders that you want to back and doubling down on this in the process and establishing this relationship. And I think there are a lot of also transactional values that we can bring to the table, but we can probably touch on that a little bit later. Could I ask you, because exactly the point that you just made about being able to strike a chord or resemble the founders and talk their language and so on, are you then also seeing that your portfolio is younger in terms of pure age compared to, to, to what you would normally <laughs> see in a normal VC portfolio? I wouldn't necessarily uh, say so. It would actually be an interesting uh like a data analysis that we should make at some point and benchmark this. But uh, looking at uh, our portfolio, we have really a diverse mix of scientists, postdocs coming into, into uh, the founding role at like in their mid thirties. We also have backed some campus founders uh, in, in B2B software uh, topics and also really seasoned entrepreneurs that have had significant exits in the past and are rather senior. Uh, I believe. And I think coming back to the age topic that we discussed just, just a minute ago, all of them are still in this underdog mentality and, and really appreciate us bringing kind of like a fresh new wind into the VC ecosystem. And I think that resonates a lot with, uh, you know, founders trying to make a dent uh, against all odds, basically. And uh, I think that's, that's one of the core beliefs that we have. And so let's, without further ado, let's go into what is a pivotal moment or what has been a pivotal moment in your fund's development and describe how it has shaped your path forward. Yeah, I mean, obviously going from being a student to managing a 5 million VC fund, like micro or even nano, I would, uh, I would rather say, was a crazy ride. And uh, I mean, uh, there are so many challenges, so many obstacles to, to overcome. But uh, even more significant to us was, was the transition to, from, from fund one to fund two, and also mostly from the internal perspective. So we are super happy to, to have been able to hire a bunch of crazy smart people that, that actually share our vision 
and the, the, our core DNA in terms of startup investing and, and uh, the scientific and more engineering uh, approach to it. And uh, to, to make a couple of examples, like Max and Anna are two physics PhDs with uh, backgrounds from MIT and some of the best research institutes in Europe. Max was a has an experience as a deep tech founder before, and I was a team lead at a uh, one of the best funded nuclear fusion startups in the world. And obviously, they help us sharpen our fund DNA towards even more technical topics and really cater to this technical audience. Let's say another example is Lena, our platform lead. She has started a company, got VC backing, was a journalist before, and like super communicative smart person leading our, our community platform and, and uh, brand initiatives. And in addition to kind of like upping our firm IQ and the age uh, average in the firm, what we learned is that we have to build a firm that is worthy of the smart people that we hired, right? And for us, that meant taking some, like most of the implicit stuff that we aligned on as, as partners, building the first fund and making that explicit and building an organization. and. Uh, we in fund one, we were more like angel investing, basically very autonomous, very individually driven. And now we have had to build a real team, like uh, robust processes and, and actually an organization around like to be able to leverage the resources that we now have. And uh, I think by right now we are like pretty effective as a team. We know the journey never ends to kind of like keep pushing this, but uh, this was like a tremendous culturally uh, change and transition that we that we had to make. Yeah, I can imagine. That <laughs> sounds like a very, very interesting story. So I want to deep dive into the strategy. I want to deep dive into the thesis. I want to deep dive into the nitty gritty. But I think even though we have given you an intro and I did my best to honor what, what First Momentum is, I think it would be best to have you guys give us a quick overview. What is First Momentum? What should people know about you guys? Sure thing. Yeah, uh, we are building First Momentum basically to be the number one address for technical founders in Europe at our zero. And maybe to deconstruct that a little bit, what we mean by that is our zero means for us, we invest at pre-seed stage as early as it gets uh, as a first check investor in, in, in those first rounds. And uh, for us, that means sometimes pre-revenue, sometimes even pre-product, very talent-centric, very technology-centric investing style. And well, by reflecting on how our team looks, obviously we are walking towards very technical founders building, building complex B2B products. I mean, we are all engineers, all scientists and ended up uh, investing in, in uh, yeah, like-minded people that start companies. From the geographical uh, point of view, the DACH region, so German-speaking countries, is clearly our home turf and we see a lot of potential here. Like we have a high concentration of like world-class researchers, super strong industrial ecosystem, lots of companies, strong economy, and then also a lot of like public funding that goes into technology companies and, and advances there. And over the years we have built this network of, of over 250 scouts, um, students, PhDs, postdocs, startup operators, across more than 30 cities in, in Europe, but also in the Dutch region, obviously. And by expanding this network, we are also now being able to see a lot more stuff in Europe and not just the Dutch region. We actually just finished our first non-Dach deal uh, last week uh, and signed this. So we're super excited to also expand on this and, and to move more into Europe 
while, while still keeping Dach uh, close to our heart, obviously. What is also super important for us, besides the investment focus and the strategy, is our approach to portfolio work. So our, our key plan here is to, to strive to actually have the highest value for money ratio in the cap tables that we work in. We are usually co-investor in, in most pre-seed rounds. Some rounds we lead, but mostly we are kind of like the second VC next to a lead VC in, in the pre-seed rounds uh, with a 500K check roughly. And that means that we can really yeah, make a dent and actually be not like an inactive co-investor, but rather the opposite. And we have a couple of more transactional pillars that we are working towards to, to, to accelerate the companies. First is go-to-market. So over the years, we have built a network of, of C-level people across Europe, different verticals, different industries, both from our LP base, but also beyond. And uh, the same thing we are, we are striving to, to achieve on the talent side, on the recruiting side for, for our teams. So uh, to give you a little perspective on, on this, on average, we do one qualified intro per day uh, in our portfolio. And just like looking back at the last few weeks, we referred one co late co-founder to a, like a really recent new investment that we made, one head of engineering for a hardware climate tech company, one CTO of, uh, at a chip company that we are looking at. So this is really talent that makes a dent in the company and that founders are obviously very happy to, uh, yeah, to receive. And the third pillar is, is the fundraising side. So you can imagine raising a pre-seed pre round, you already think about the next round and the milestones that you have to hit and how you want to structure the process, who you want to get on board, et cetera. And we really worked super hard in the last years to become this qualifier fund to the best seed and Series A funds in Europe, but also in the US. And by now we have the pleasure to see, like if we send out a deck, like a portfolio deck to our network, we can, can guarantee the startup CEO to have like a full calendar in the next week and the week, week after. And I think this is all a founder uh, wants basically to get this momentum and get a fast fundraising process and with a, have like a competitiveness to it. This is our transactional approach to, to the portfolio work. And when it comes to everything else, be it thought work, be it like strategic operational advice, I think our, our key value is really intellectual honesty, right? Like we know what we are good at. We are doing this since five years. We know in which areas we can give really good advice and point the founders in the right direction or flag something that is not working properly maybe, but it's really about reflecting what we don't know and then getting somebody who knows it better, right? And I think this is also quite refreshing for some of the founders out there to have an investor that doesn't just give advice to anything. Uh, and yeah, this is very dear to, uh, to us as well. I actually want to ask you guys about something that I know there's mixed feelings <laughs> in the industry, right? So when you say a pre-seed co-investor and that you typically have other, other, other leading VC, you know, some look at that as something really good <laughs> in the sense that, you know, you are, collaborative by design you're a collaborative like your fund model is is made for collaborate for being collaborative right so some love the fact that what that allows you to do on the other hand it does require a level of consensus by design as well right and so I'd, I'd love to hear you guys expand a bit on your experience so far 
of course, what what led you to to keep that strategy for for fund two because it is somewhat aligned with what you were doing with fund one, of course. But also, what are the pros and cons, and and kind of open the kimono a bit of of maybe some frustrations that that you sometimes see that well, life is made of of things not going super well all the time. And I'd love I'd love to uncover some some cool uh, war stories there. I think there are two types of deals, right? There's this uh, type A where we actually are the driving force behind the deal and we see the founder super early, talk to them, build a relationship, get conviction about the topic and the team and then say, hey, let's raise a round. We put in 500K and let's go VC shopping together, uh, basically. And then we open up the network and try to structure the process a little bit. In this regard, I think we are extremely comfortable. But on the other hand, you also have deals, obviously, where the lead is already there and you are trying to uh, kind of like chip in in a competitive process and, and build conviction yeah. fast and get access to the deal. And I think for us, sometimes it can be frustrating in those type A deals that we cannot do the round ourselves fully because of the restrictions of our fund size. Uh, so for example, if we take a deep tech hardware climate topic, for example, you just need two to three million in the first round to get to the next milestone to be able to, to raise the next round. And I think for us, just by design, looking at the fund volume and the average ticket size that we can deploy, it's not possible for us to lead the round and just push it through. So in this sense, we are kind of reliable. We have to rely on hyping up other funds and, and building those relationships and, and making the founders, yeah, kicking in uh, indoors for the founders at, at other firms. And this sometimes can be uh, quite frustrating. Yeah, but also a very healthy uh, dynamic at the same time. So guys, I would love to ask you if you could share a little bit on the performance side. And I'm, of course, asking this both, you know, remembering back to the conversation we had just before, anyone who might be thinking, huh, does these, do these guys really know what they're talking about? And, and we just heard the Cohen Master side and we heard, heard some of the other metrics there, but there's also the pure performance metrics. And I'd, I'd love to invite you to just share a bit on that because I think that, that that's an interesting perspective as well. And, and use that opportunity to also tell us what did you do in Fund 1? And then we can talk about Fund 2 afterwards. Yeah, so for Fund 1 was, as we mentioned in the beginning, was a 5 million euro fund. And I think David also so framed it as kind of an angel-like fund. So usually we did around 100K uh, on average, um, in really those, those first rounds, we didn't really have, I mean, just by the, the size of the, of the fund, we really didn't have a ton of reserves. So it was more kind of opportunistic seeing where, where we, we'd follow on. We set up the fund in, in 2018, um, and did in the end 27 deals out of, out of this uh, first fund. If you look at the, the fund as a whole, by now you, you really start to see kind of the first clear outliers that, that are moving away from the pack. You still have uh, a bunch of companies that are um, kind of in a C to, to Series A stage or in, in that transition, still seeing like, okay, where, where do they end up? Is this is this the, the fund per, uh, return that, that you have uh, in the portfolio or is this kind of somewhere in, in, in the midfield? But I think in general, if we, if we look at the portfolio, we I think we're, what is really important for us is that we, that we have a graduation rate from from pre-seed to, to, to the next round of uh, over 65%. Uh, so kind of, I mean, this, this is the, the part that we can uh, influence both by the initial picking and then also on the, on the support side that, that we give there. And then I, I think also looking at I mean, benchmarking with 
with funds is always a bit tricky uh, because data is so so sparse. But I mean, the, the, the best data point there, and I think you are well aware of that uh, for, for Isomer is kind of looking at the fund of funds and, and what, what their database is. And I think from conversations there that, that we had with, with them is that that, that will end up in, in, in the top quartile there in terms of the, the fund KPIs. Currently, I mean, this is still uh, obviously a lot in movement over time. Uh, and I think especially the deep tech and industrial stuff just takes longer to, to mature uh, and to get to milestones that then gets other investors excited and, and just basically wanting to throw money at those companies. We already had companies in the, in the portfolio where uh, the investor just showed up at the uh, at the front door and was like, "Here's a term sheet. Can you sign it?" <laughs> uh, so I think like the dynamic is is getting there, and also from the total enterprise value that we have in the the portfolio that that we're kind of getting to the to the uh, high nine figures. Uh, there is I think good indicator, but in the end we we still have quite a few years in the in the fund lifetime and and to see kind of where where we end up there. Uh, but so far really happy, and also I think from Looking at the LP base that we had in Fund One, eighty-five uh, percent of the LPs joined in Fund Two, and on average doubled their their commitment um, that they had in, in in the first fund. So, really, kind of having the feeling that that we're on the right track there, and now institutionalizing just step by step. One thing I can add there, based with with the data set that we have and the data set that you know I can't really disclose, but I can kind of share the highlights is, in fact, that that conclusion that you guys have actually holds with the data that I see and I have, which is based on fund one, you seem to be on track to be to be a, a top quartile performing fund, which is exciting, of course. Uh, we all know that the you know the the multiples aren't really sticky, so they dance around over the over the age of the fund. So your work is not done. But obviously from the data that we have it it is a good indicator and I think it's something that we should double down on and double click on because it's important to make that very clear too. To the attentive listener at least and with all of this a shout out to eif uh let's get that data more out into the ecosystem that would be so great for all of us yeah um <laughs> but let's uh, let's turn to talk about your scout program you mentioned it just before you have a bunch of people around you that you've got involved in a more or less let's call it structured approach. So tell us exactly how structured is it? What are the dynamics you're using there? What are the types of people involved? And, and also the sheer volume of it, because I think that that's a very cool uh, element in your fund strategy. Yeah, so when we, when we started uh, with our first fund, I mean, being engineers, we pretty quickly came to, to the conclusion, let's, let's build tech and, and tooling around our processes. So like everyone else by now, we, we've built scrapers, but I think this also means in the end that you see see deals at about the same time as uh, as other VCs, and kind of coming from this uh, Karlsruhe ecosystem, we realized pretty uh, pretty quickly that actually the, the 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 smart people or the smartest people that that we are looking for also know other smart people um, or are known by other smart people. So this is if you, you could really see the founders basically starting to to start working on experiments and, and different projects a year or two before before they they really found it um, or the, the really interesting uh, projects started emerging and you could see them experimenting kind of falling on their face getting back up reassembling the team and then at some point the the lightning strikes and so fast the, the the attempt was to or the, the idea was to basically replicate this not just in Karlsruhe because there we knew the people, but uh, across the, the, the Duff region and to basically find those 
super connectors in those ecosystems that that could tell us in advance, okay, those are the people that you should talk to uh, now already and kind of build that relationship for when they then actually kind of start building that interesting company. And this, I think, is also quite different to other funds that are fishing in the same university ecosystem pond because they usually tend to go through the tech transfer offices or the professors that are leading an institute. Um, but our experience is that they oftentimes just don't know what the people on campus are actually working on just because it's such a huge amount of people and uh, navigating those social networks is, uh, is quite tricky. And so this is why we have over 250 scouts uh, by now. So that's really students, PhDs, postdocs, people at startups, people also at kind of consulting companies that can tell us if they get a goodbye email from someone that is saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to start something if someone wants to join or knows of a great CTO or something like this, that this shows up on our radar as well. Right now, around 20% of the, our portfolio was, was, was actually sourced by, by those scouts. We've also gotten all peace through that scout community. We've, we quite regularly are able to uh, refer people either directly from that scout network or from people that those scouts know to our portfolio in, in terms of hiring and just kind of long-term building those relationships with, with those people over time. Because I mean, in the end, those are high potential people that might found, found something themselves. Um, and for them, it's really us being that bridge into the VC ecosystem and, and giving them an inside view on how does a VC operate? How do we make decisions? What is the interesting stuff that we are seeing right now? So it's really kind of a give and take on, on, on that level. The power of having this type of network and also that's that's the whole thesis around what we're doing in terms of allowing allowing angels to also be involved in funds because having that close bond is exactly what's what's so powerful. And you know, many of them have of course also joined in in into into the syndicate that, that we're creating, right? Um because it, it makes so much sense to have this type of people close to you. So it's really cool to see and, and, and I'm really hyped about the the opportunity to be working closely with you guys in the future. So now, gentlemen, I would love to dive into the investment verticals and portfolio uh, that you guys are, you know, the experts in. So maybe, David, I would ask you to start us uh, there. Tell us what's your core belief, what are, what are you looking at, and so on. Our key hypothesis is that in the next decade, it will be all about solving really complex, hard-pressing problems with complex products and technologies, basically. And that really puts engineers and scientists as founders in the spotlight. And, and looking at our team and how we build Transmentum and the DNA we have built around our investing, we have built a VC that those founders, I think, will, uh, deserve in, in terms of speaking their language, understanding the problems, etc. And ba based on the backgrounds we have in the team, our personal interests uh, and some of the more like data-driven hypotheses that we have about the future of, of, of Europe uh, in terms of technology, we are investing along a spectrum of very deep tech-driven, very science-driven, IP-driven companies, uh, but also on the other side of the spectrum, more uh, industry-specific, uh, complex software topics that, that still have a, a rather technical core. And uh, looking at some of the verticals that we are usually investing in and following quite closely. Andy is our industrial tech guy. We are looking at a lot of energy and climate tech uh, opportunities, both on the software and hardware side. I am more responsible with Max 
uh, on uh, future of computing topics, meaning developer tools, data tools, and then also novel computing paradigms like quantum computing, photonic chips, etc. Probably it makes sense to just dive into some of the companies that we have back to uh, kind of like uh, yeah give some examples that are more tangible. Yeah, I, I was about to say that. Let's let's get into that because th this is where the meat is, right? So exactly, tell us <laughs> tell us about some of the amazing things that you guys are backing. Yeah, so maybe we'll, we'll start off with one of the climate tech companies that we've backed. Uh, they're called One Five. Well, we all know that plastic packaging is bad for the environment, and I think that by now, uh, happily, like this is something that everybody knows and that everybody knows that we should address as, as a society. And One Five is really on that mission to make that happen. They are basically trying to convert biomaterials to sustainable packaging products to, uh, to create a substitute for uh, plastics, basically. And what they have built is a technology platform to take different IP strings from science, for example, algaes uh, as, as a biomaterial for, for plastic alternatives, and develop this to industrial scale. So having a portfolio of IPs that are super interesting technology breakthroughs and translating them into industry scale productizable packaging materials that they can then de deliver to FMCG companies. Uh, they are now scaling up their first products, uh, which is like cosmetic packaging products, condiment products to, to get rid of plastics. They're working with some of the largest FMCG companies like Bayersdorf, Unilever, Tetra Pak, Schwarzgroup, etc. And it's really amazing to, to see this journey and also have this tangible Im impact of just like being able to actually have like a biomaterial packaging in your hand and like kind of like feeling it. And I think that's what it's all about to being able to see the tangible impact that, that a company has that, that you are backing. And uh, we couldn't be more happy to uh, now also have really cool funds like Speed Invest, Planet A, Gener Gen uh, Green Generation Fund also on that journey that, that came in after us and uh, uh, we're leading the, the follow-on round here. And uh, yeah, that's that's one of the climate tech companies that that is super cool. So just for clarity purposes here, this is a fund one investment, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also, and I, I guess we, we cannot disclose the entity, but we can generally say this is also a good example of you co-investing with an LP and what you're just talking about before. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's very cool. That's very cool. And let me let me ask you guys, when was this investment done? One five? I think it was actually in 2020. Ah, uh, well, so quite quite some time. Quite ago. A while so ago. So we've seen some development already. Cool, and this is this this is interesting because I'd love I'd love to have you guys now share kind of story of of a more recent investment. And what I'm also hinting to here is, you know, the development of of the different types of deals that you're doing as as well, of course, but also the fact that this investment was done out of a five million vehicle, with whatever that means in terms of investment size and ownerships, right? <laughs> to an investment done more recently, which is a a very different conversation, even though it's still the same spaces that you're looking at, right? Maybe a good good one to pick up here is Hippo Quantum, which is a basically a, a algorithm compression and uh, algorithm provider for quantum computing. I mean, you, you don't need to understand quantum computing to understand the case for this company, because for quantum computing, there's a whole bunch of literature uh, and research being done on where does quantum computing outperform classical digital computing. The problem with that is all of the, this research is assuming huge hardware. So basically hardware that is 
at best estimations going to be available in 10 years. But a lot of those applications where quantum computing actually is uh, way superior to, to classical computing uh, are topics that, that we basically need right now. Development of new chemicals and materials that are working on a kind of climate neutral or even climate or carbon negative uh, setup. For example, routing optimization, weather forecasting, um, which is hugely complex. So you, you have a lot of different applications where it's actually useful to have that right now and not in 10 years. And Kipo has basically figured out a way to compress those algorithms and find a shortcut on those calculations. So pulling that timeline from at best in 10 years to actually now or and, and or next year, depending on how fast kind of the hardware develops there. And they're already working with some of the, the largest companies in the world for, for chemicals, for supply chain topics on kind of implementing those, those algorithms on the existing hardware that, that is available, available commercially right now. And also hardware providers are looking at them and saying, okay, if they can get us to actually making our hardware usable now, we should tailor our hardware to the algorithms that those guys are using. And this is for us really also a good case to illustrate for, for the kind of teams that, that we are looking for. They, they fit quite well. So the, the technical side comes from a very hands-on and also full-time involved quantum physics professor. So he's not just, here's my research, I want some equity in the company, but actually being being hands-on in the company. One of the co-founders is a former founder of a, a spin-out company uh, out of KIT that has been the basically base layer technology for OLEDs um, and has a nine-figure exit to, to, to Samsung. And the CEO built up the, the quantum practice uh, at McKinsey and then uh, later at ESF, which is uh, the world's largest chemical company. So you have that mix of really kind of technical understanding and even the the non-technical co-founders are chemistry PhDs, uh, so you have to have that, that technical team, uh, but you also have a really kind of commercial uh, experience and, and uh, network already for, for this kind of case. And for them, it's uh, they're still kind of in a, in a research and development phase for a lot of this, that stuff, um, but you also already kind of see the, the applications coming in. What I like about these two examples, and I want to double click on this because I think it's incredibly important, is that one could easily kind of put you in the bucket of those like university originated funds and then automatically think of the founder profile being young graduates, right? It's very much not the case in these two deals, right? In one case, we're talking about, as you just described, the whole team there, right, with Kipu. These are either experienced researchers or actually experienced operators or even experienced like C-levels or, or mid-levels, let's put it like that. But in the other case, also, we're talking about someone who was also, and he didn't, we didn't talk about the, the founding team of, of 1.5 in detail, but it's also a team that has incredible operating experience working in, in what I believe was, was, was a unicorn. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, yeah, I'm right in saying that. Cool. And I, I think that's that's incredibly cool and important to double click on because, yes, you come from that university incubator origin story, but that doesn't mean that you can only get in young graduates, graduates opportunities. I just I just wanted to double click that and I'll kick it back to to Andreas Moncolm just now. I just wanted to add that there's another point that you also made earlier, David, which was exactly that these two deals show the first one was an expression of the first fund and the angel type fund where you where you came in with a relatively small ticket for a relatively small ownership stake, but with very good co-investors. And then the other one 
you come in for a larger ticket with a larger for a larger stake, but still with, in this case, one of the very leading uh, uh, quantum computing investors. So I think that th those two are incredibly important in that they show that in fund two, you can you have been able to also change your investment style and 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 get into those deals that are required of a bigger fund. I want to use this time to ask a question. I think you know we're all we're all investors here, and we all have that deal that we're kind of like incredibly fucking proud that we got into because it was super competitive and we really fought to get in. So I'd love to ask you guys to share that one deal that was crazy hard to to get it through, but that you know once you got it through, it was like one of those really like big moments of like feeling, wow, we we, man we managed to get into this deal. This was really tough, but it was really worth all the time that we poured into it. For me, that would be uh, Dana Lewis. I, I don't know, David, if you have a, have a different opinion there. This was a fun one deal as well, uh, where we ended up being the only European investor in in this in this setup, uh, and kind of co-investing or by now being co-invested with Kosla and an addition on that company. And basically, our way into into that company was having met that founder already in kind of university stage. So he's a a computer science graduate that went over to the Valley, kind of got to be the head of robotics uh, research at OpenAI. And you might have seen kind of some of the experience that he's done on, on, on Twitter or YouTube because they're usually pretty impressive uh, seeing how robots learn. And he wanted to basically transfer that knowledge to a more commercial setting and kind of transfer it himself and a bunch of uh, engineers from OpenAI, SpaceX, to a pretty small town in Germany. I'm, I still don't know how he convinced them to do that, especially in the middle of COVID, but basically to figure out how can we make the production of precision machine parts more efficient because you usually have two, two major problems there. One is you have way too manual processes and you have too few skilled workers uh, in those setups. And they basically came up with adding in a lot, lots of robotic automation and basically kind of viewing that factory from a robot first standpoint and then also putting an a unified software layer on top of the whole production chain so you basically from order intake through design checking to kind of putting this into into production to material flow control and checking the or sending off the the finished part this is all one software stack that can now be used for uh, machine learning and reinforcement learning in that sense the founder was also part of YC, so he, he already had access to a lot of American VCs. And for us, this was really kind of, okay, this has to be a deal that we are part of because he's basically rebuilding or wants to rebuild the foundational layer of the German economy in, in that sense. And so this was really a driver for us and kind of having that connection early on and then also being able to give him a, lot, a ton of customer intros early on. We referred his chief of staff to him. Uh, we uh, helped to them pick out kind of the factory space that they're now uh, in now. So basically kind of being extremely helpful at that early stage really made us dig in and also kind of them wanting to be like, hey, can you guys put more money in in, in further rounds? Or do we want to set up an SPV here? Because we, we would like you guys to have a larger stake on the cap table as well. So this is really kind of company close to our hearts, I would say. This deal also happened before OpenAI blew up. So <laughs> so I think that True. anyone today would be like, wow, OpenAI guy, I want to do that. All right, guys, this was amazing. I would just ask you, would you not please give a shout out to our audience telling uh, telling them a bit about, you know, where you're headed and, and, and everything? 
how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, it's been it's been great to to take your audience uh, for a ride through basically our our corner of the VC world. Uh, usually, deep tech slowly is getting more attention, so it's uh, it's it's always fun to get get more people excited about it. We're we're really really looking forward to getting fun too fully up and running and and being the best partner to to a lot of deep tech or deeply technical founders and companies. And if there's anyone around that we haven't talked to that is also uh, excited about this, uh, feel free to reach out to, to us either LinkedIn, email, you know the drill. All right, everyone, as you heard in this episode, venture capital is all about creating the reign of their nerds. And that is exactly what we're creating by doing investments into deep tech funds like FMV. Thanks everyone for listening in to today's episode of the European VC podcast. Drop us a review, follow the pod, and don't forget to subscribe at eu.vc. I am David and was joined by my co-host Andreas. Thank you so much for tuning in today and we can't wait to see you all out there. Attention folks, on December the 11th, we're hosting our virtual roundtable, mastering non-dilutive funding in Europe on LinkedIn. Sign up to eu.vc. Discover cutting-edge approaches and best practices in leveraging non-dilutive funding, a crucial tool for both your startup portfolio and if you have the flexibility, even your own investment strategy. Gain invaluable insights from Gilles de Malbosque from Harmony, a seasoned family office investor on optimizing these fund avenues for maximum returns. Hear from Bailey Morrow at HSBC Innovation Banking about the evolving role of banks in non-dilutive financing and how this impacts your investment decisions. Venture capitalist Hamal Fraser-Rawal shares a unique perspective on balancing equity and debt for optimal growth in the European startup ecosystem. Learn from Benjamin Ryder from Levenue, a successful entrepreneur on how his platform aids businesses in securing non-dilutive funds effectively. This roundtable would deepen your understanding of non-dilutive funding options, strategic implementation, and how they complement traditional investment methods. This is an essential event for VCs, angel investors, family offices, and financial leaders seeking to refine their investment strategies. Secure your spot now. Transform your investment portfolio with non-dilutive funding knowledge. Visit eu.vc. Head on over to the event section and sign up to join us for an in-depth look at how to win with non-dilutive funding instruments in Europe. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This is a union of values. values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting.